but approximately 10,000 miles away in Calcutta on August 13th there was a historical celebration it was the 50th anniversary of His Divine Grace A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada boarding a very old time-beaten cargo ship called Chaladuta at the King George dockyards in Calcutta. Fifty years before, when Srila Prabhupada boarded that ship, there was only four people that came with him. I believe three of them worked for the Skindia Steamship Navigation Company, the owners of the cargo ship. and his youngest son, Vrindavan Chandra Day. When he boarded Jaladuta, he had only 40 rupees, which were never exchanged. So actually he had nothing, except a little bag of cereal, an umbrella, and a box of Srimad Bhagavatams and his Japa Mala. It was such a impossible mission that literally no one of any significance whatsoever 
as far as saints or Vaishnavas or god brothers or god sisters, no one even came to see him off. Long before that, in the 1920s or 30s, when some of his god brothers went to London, there was an incredible celebration and festival to see them off. But when Prabhupada left, it seemed so totally impossible. He was 69 years old, he wasn't in good health. And there was really no one to receive him except an unknown stranger, son of a distant friend of his. It was a very simple, lonely event. So totally quiet. No one knew, no one cared. And exactly 50 years to the day later, over 500 temples, hundreds of millions of his books distributed, millions of followers, Thousands, tens and thousands of devotees who took vows to follow his path, the path of Lord Chaitanya. In Calcutta, the largest indoor stadium was used to celebrate. It holds 15,000 people and because so many people wanted to come, they had to divide the celebration into morning and evening. And except for people who were going to speak both times, no one was allowed in both. You could only get tickets for morning or evening. And it was sold out. So 30,000 people were there. And in the evening section, The only surviving person on planet Earth that actually went with Prabhupada to the Jaladuta on that day came on stage to speak. That was his son, Vrindavan Chandra, who's now about 70 years old. And he explained Srila Prabhupada was living in Vrindavan. Of course, we know the story. Prabhupada was living in Vrindavan, and every possible obstacle that could come his way fully came before him. It was a struggle at every step. In 1922, Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur, his Guru Maharaj, gave him the instruction at their first meeting. You are an intelligent young man. You should take the message of Lord Chaitanya 
to the Western world in the English language. At the time, he was just married, just having a child. So it wasn't really possible. But he took that message in the core of his heart and he lived. He lived especially to fulfill it. About 10 or 11 years later, in Prayag, the place where the Gandhis, Yamuna, and Saraswati meet, where Lord Chaitanya instructed Rupa Goswami, Srila Prabhupada took first and second initiation from his guru. And later, he retired from his family life and moved to Vrindavan. It was his wish to bring the very essence of all Vedic knowledge to Srimad Bhagavatam to the West with him. So he spent years translating and writing commentaries on the first canto of Srimad Bhagavatam. It was very difficult. He had no help. He wrote it. He typed it out. He edited it. He proofreaded it. He brought it to Delhi. He had no money. He had to find somebody to give paper. And paper was under government regulation in those days. So he had to go through all sorts of bureaucracy. And if anyone wants to know what bureaucracy could be, then please come and live in India. (laughs) Of course, with all respects, with the new prime minister, everything's getting better. But in 1965, it was really bad. And he was begging people to just donate paper. And after he got a little paper, he got to the somebody to publish it. Took years. He did everything himself. The first two volumes were done of the first canto, but the third one he just couldn't find any means to get it published. So he approached a great lady devotee, Sumati Morarji was from the Pushti Marg of Sri Padbalabhacharya. And she sponsored the third volume. So now he had the first canto and he wanted to go to America. But how to go to America? He had no money, he had no friends, he had no passport, <laughs> but to speak of visa. But he was fully surrendered to the will of the Lord. But you see, in the example of Anacharya, to be surrendered to the will of the Lord doesn't mean you just wait. 
with such determination he never gave up. He was in Delhi. No, I'm sorry, he was in Agra, where the Taj Mahal is. And he was giving a talk at a distant friend's house. And after the talk, the friend was pouring his heart out to Srila Prabhupada about his, his anxiety. He said, my son, he wanted to go to America to go to college, engineering school. And while there, he was trapped by an American woman. And now he, he will not return to India. He was accepting some, some advice, some solace, some blessing. And Srila Prabhupada's response was, Oh, he lives in America? Can he get a visa for me? <laughs> the man was speechless. And Prabhupada saw that and didn't pursue it. He was quiet. But about four months later, he got a notice from the American consulate in New Delhi that he was sponsored and he could get a visa. He was given a one-month sponsorship by Gopal Agarwal. How many of you have met him? Please raise your hand. He was married to a Christian-American lady named Sally, Sally Uggerwell. And what happened is Gopal's father, so many sadhus would come to his house, and they would all say, I want to go to America. And even business partners and business people would want to go to America. And he would always tell Gopal, sponsor, sponsor. And Gopal would just sponsor. But he knew for sure no one will ever come. But then after Prabhupada got that sponsorship letter, he had no way of getting there. So he went to Mumbai and met Sumati Mirarji. Please, you own cargo ships? These are not ocean liners, these are cargo ships. Have you ever seen a cargo ship? Have you ever been on one? They're really, um, they're pretty dirty places actually, and they're really rough. And, you know, on ocean liners, everybody's trained with hospitality. But on cargo ship, there's no hospitality. They're just like lifting boxes and something or other, getting it across the oceans. <laughs> she refused, absolutely, adamantly, no, I will not give you. To go at your age, 70 years old, to be crossing three oceans... And a cargo ship, you will die. And even if you get across, America is so cold and you are so old. No one will listen to you. This message is not welcome in America. Just stay here in Mumbai and myself and my friends will all listen to you and, we'll, and write your books and we'll help you publish them. Prabhupada insisted 
for weeks. He wouldn't take no for an answer. And finally, she arranged for him to leave on Friday, the 13th of August, on the Chalatuta. But then there's a whole history between that. He had to get his P form. That means the um, Reserve Bank of India has to give clearance for him to leave. And that was, and he was totally refused. But he insisted, I want to see the top officer of the government. So he went all the way to the top and the person said, okay, Swamiji, we'll give you the before. <laughs> and then he had to get his passport. And he was only sponsored for one month. The journey was going to take 38 days to get there. It would take 38 days back, and he was only sponsored for one month. But he was willing to do it. So he boarded Chalatuta. Vrindavan Chandra told us, told everybody on stage, that Prabhupada was a Swamiji, he was a sannyasi, so he didn't stay in any of his family's homes. He stayed in a real simple little dharamshala, a place where sadhus stay, <laughs> a free room. And Vrindavan Chandra, in the early morning, he picked Srila Prabhupada up with a taxi cab. And in those days, the taxi cabs in India were those old black ambassadors. And they drove together in a taxi to the King George dockyards. And Srila Prabhupada and him, I was just there. How many of you have been to the King George dockyard in Calcutta? Raise your hand. You were there. Amazing. <laughs> um, can I give you an example of what it's like? You're not allowed in. You have to just look at it from a bridge because it's a port. So there's very high security. So I just went, I just went just as far as you can go and I bowed down. And just by my knees, I, I kind of put my cloth up so it wouldn't get... And my knees were black with some kind of stuff that stuck to it. <laughs> and they were really black. And when I finally returned to where I was staying, I washed it and I scrubbed it and I washed it and I scrubbed it. And to this day, a month later, my knees are still kind of black. <laughs> Just from bowing down on my knees. So anyways, that's what a dockyard is like in India. <laughs> and they went on the they went on the boat together.
and Vrindavan Chandra told me when the um, when the fog horn blew <coughs> he had to get off the boat and <coughs> the boat you know it's a cargo ship it's kind of lurching forward Prabhupada used that word and it went forward and left it stayed kind of in the water for a few hours and when it left the port Vrindavan Chandra told me his father he was so elderly and he had nothing and he knew no one and it was such a journey he said he cried incessantly he just couldn't stop crying But then he looked at me, he was practically crying as he was telling me the story. And he looked up at me, this is after his talk, we, we spoke privately, Bhakti Charu Maharaj and myself. And he smiled and said, but I was proud of my father. The ship went into the Bay of Bengal down to Sri Lanka where they walked around for some time Srila Prabhupada and Captain Pandya and his wife then they went across or around Cape Comoran or Kanyakumari to Cochin in Kerala and there the boat was just outside the docks for John Mastumi, 1965. Usually Prabhupada was in Vrindavan for John Mastumi. Or even in those days where Vrindavan was such a very simple, quiet place, hundreds and thousands of people would come to Mathura and John and Vrindavan for John Mastumi. And there would be celebrations and Kirtans and darshans and midnight feasts and so many wonderful and Prabhupada was just alone and he gave a little class on John Mastami to some of the people on the ship <laughs> and he made a little prasad in a little kitchen he had and he, that he got to use and he distributed the prasad and the next day was his Vyas Puja his 70th birthday and just around that time the box of Srimad the boxes of Srimad Bhagavatams were put on board the ship then it sailed on the Arabian Sea and Srila Prabhupada has a diary and he explains day by day what experiences were there. And he talks about how he was, from almost the very beginning, he was severely seasick. How many of you have ever been severely seasick? Please raise your hand. When you're seasick, you can't be objective. You're totally subjective. 
It's the worst experience you could have in life. I mean, I remember I was... It's a long story. But I always wanted to go into this boat of my god-brother and not a Hari Prabhu in Hawaii. Because I used to live in that mountain in the Appalachians and New Vrindavan. It was cold in the winters and I saw this little film. I think the world of Hare Krishnas or something. And it had this devotee sailing in the Hawaiian Islands. And I thought, God, I'd, someday that would be so nice. <laughs> and I was sent to Hawaii on a mission, actually. And I went there and I met my godbrother and he said, do you want to go on, your, on this boat with me? And I was trying to act like I was detached. (laughs) But I was really attached, actually. I really wanted to go on that boat. I'd been dreaming of it for years. And it was the same boat and the same everything and the same ocean. But I got seasick. And as we were, there were some sharks in the area we could see them going mm-hmm. and I was so seasick I said I'm getting off this boat and he said but they're sharks I said I'd rather I'd rather give the sharks indigestion than be the way I <laughs> and I jumped off and he threw a life rafter a life saver those round mechanisms and I just held on to it and I prayed to Krishna and the sharks didn't even eat me <laughs> But seasickness is really bad. And I was only in my 20s. Prabhupada, he was 70 years old. He was seasick. There were storms on a cargo ship and there was nowhere to go. He couldn't eat. And then after a few days, he had two heart attacks. There was no doctors, there was no hospital, there was no medicines. His son, Vrindavan Chandra, told us that when Prabhupada ultimately finally arrived in America, he sent a telegram. He had Captain Pandya send a telegram to Vrindavan Chandra. Because Prabhupada had two heart attacks, serious seasickness, and he had no medicine and no doctor and didn't know anyone. This is when he arrived in Boston. And he said, go to this particular Ayurvedic pharmacy and get me this particular medicine and send it to me in America. So Vrindavan Chandra said, he was just in his, I think he was just hardly 20 years old, he ran to the pharmacy and got the medicine and sent it to Prabhupada. In his diary, Srila Prabhupada writes how they crossed somehow or other the Arabian Sea, the Persian Gulf, the Mediterranean Sea. They passed Mount Gibraltar and entered into the Atlantic Ocean.
Now the Atlantic Ocean, according to the sailors and the captain of Chaladuta, is the roughest ocean to cross. They said there is never a time when there wasn't really rough waters and storms. How would he survive? Fifty years ago today, on September 13th, Srila Prabhupada wrote this in his diary. May I read it? Today, Monday, the 13th of September, Today is the 32nd day of our journey from Calcutta. After midnight yesterday, the lurching decreased and I felt relief. In the morning also, I could not take my breakfast properly. Then I cooked bati chachari. It appeared to be delicious, and I was able to take some food. Today I disclosed my mind to my companion, Lord Sri Krishna. There is a Bengali poem made by me today in this connection. At about 11, there is a little lurching the captain tells that they had never such calmness of the Atlantic. I said, it is Lord Krishna's mercy. His wife asked me to come back again with them so that they may have again a calm Atlantic Ocean. If Atlantic would have shown its usual face, perhaps I would have died. But Lord Krishna has taken charge of the ship. That was written 50 years ago today. Would you like me to read the poem that Srila Prabhupada wrote 50 years ago today on the Jaladuta? This is the 50th anniversary. Prayers at the lotus feet of Krishna. By his divine grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, on board the ship Jaladuta, September 13th, 1965. I emphatically say to you, O brothers, you will obtain your good fortune from the Supreme Lord Krishna only when Srimati Radharani becomes pleased with you. Sri Srimad Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur, who is very dear to Lord Goranga, the son of Mother Sachi, is unparalleled in his service to the Supreme Lord. Shri Krishna. He is that great personality, that great saintly spiritual master who bestows intense devotion to Krishna at different places throughout the world. 
It is his strong desire. The holy name of Lord Goranga will be spread throughout all the countries of the Western world. In all the cities, towns, and villages on the earth, from all the oceans, seas, rivers, and streams, everyone will chant the holy name of Krishna. As Prabhupada's writing this, no one else in India, none of his god brothers, god sisters, anyone, were making any effort. There was no plan. It was all resting on him alone. And he was 70 years old. And he just had heart attacks. And he's been on this cargo ship for 32 days. But in his complete humility, he's expressing, it's my Guru Maharaj's desire, and it will be done. He has that faith. As the vast mercy of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu conquers all directions, a flood of transcendental ecstasy will certainly cover the land when all the sinful, miserable, living entities become happy, the Vaishnava's desire is then fulfilled. Srila Prabhupada often cites the definition of a Vaishnava, one who has no envy, one who is sincerely the well-wisher of all living beings, one who from the core of their heart want to see everyone happy. And when you taste the sweetness of love for Krishna and the sweetness of Krishna's love for you, then you could know there is no greater happiness. Although my Guru Maharaj ordered me to accomplish this mission, I am not worthy or fit to do it. I am very fallen and insignificant. Therefore, O Lord, now I am begging for your mercy so that I may become worthy for you, for you are the wisest and most experienced of all. If you bestow your power by serving the spiritual master, one attains the absolute truth one's life becomes successful. If that service is obtained, then one becomes happy and gets your association due to good fortune. In this beautiful verse, Srila Prabhupada is, there's, there can be volumes of literatures written in commentary for each of these verses. But interestingly here, most people are trying to obtain a goal through their service. But Srila Prabhupada is exalting that the greatest obtainment, the greatest thing to obtain is service. Your service, Sri Krishna. If you bestow your power 
By serving the spiritual master, one attains the absolute truth. One's life becomes successful. If that service is obtained, then one becomes happy and gets your association due to good fortune. My dear Lord, O Supreme Personality of Godhead, because of my association with material desires, does this go on? I don't know where the bottom is. It's kind of like the Della Duta. <laughs> so, ah, very nice. Thank you. Oh, my Lord, Supreme Personality of Godhead, because of my association with material desires, one after another. I was gradually falling into a blind well full of snakes, following the general populace. But your servant, Narada Muni, kindly accepted me as his disciple and instructed me how to achieve this transcendental position. Therefore, my first duty is to serve him. How could I leave his service? This is a verse from Srimad Bhagavatam, written by Prahlad, or spoken by Prahlad to Lord Narasimhadev. O Lord Krishna, Prabhupada is saying, O Lord Krishna, you are my eternal companion. Forgetting you, I have suffered the kicks of Maya, birth after birth. If today the chance to meet you occurs again, then I will surely be able to rejoin you. Oh, dear friend, in your company, I will experience great joy once again. In the early morning, I will wander about the cowherd pastures and fields, running and frolicking in the many forests of Brudge. I will roll on the ground in spiritual ecstasy. Oh, when will that day be mine? Today, that remembrance of you came to me in a very nice way. Because I have a very great longing, I call to you. I am your eternal servant, and therefore I desire your association so much. O oh Lord Krishna, except for you, there is no other means of success. Srila Prabhupada arrived in Boston on September 17th. Thank you.
they just stopped for a day or so. And then Prabhupada writes, he actually spoke what happened. He only had one month sponsorship. And in Boston, his immigrations took place. So the officials asked him, how long do you want your visa? Now, when you're only sponsored, sponsor means somebody has to guarantee they're going to take care of all your financial necessities. And usually you only get a visa according to that. He had one month sponsorship. So they asked him, how long do you want visa? And Prabhupada really wanted to kind of take a great risk. And he said, two months. <laughs> they gave him two month visa. That means he had to leave the country in two months. And he got back in the boat and they went to New York. And the day they arrived in New York, it had been 38 days on board the Jalatuta. And Srila Prabhupada, he explained when he got off the ship, he didn't know if he should right, turn right or left. He really didn't know for sure if anyone would even be there to meet him. But he knew he had the boxes of Srimad Bhagavatam's. And he said, I had complete faith in the mercy of my spiritual master and in the holy name of Krishna. And I had the wealth of the Srimad Bhagavatam's. And a strange professional traveler's aid representative came and greeted him and brought him to, this, to the cargo ship office, Skindia. And they said, when do you want your return journey? And he said, I'll contact you when I decide. <laughs> and he got all the dates and the times of when Jaladuta or when their cargo ships would return. And then he was put on a bus alone off to Butler or Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And there he was brought to Butler. And it's a wonderful long story. Prabhupada studied the whole of America in Sally Agarwal. He said, just like you take a drop from the ocean to study the content of the ocean, he was studying this one lady who was his hostess. They put him in a YMCA hotel. He went there to cook his meals. And after about three weeks, he went to New York City. There's something really interesting. When he was in Mumbai, when he actually was given permission to go on this cargo ship, he was asking people if they knew anyone in America. And this is 1965. How many of you Indians here were here in 1965? 
I, I heard from Sally Agarwal when, pro, when she got married to Gopal Agarwal as far as she knew her husband was the only Indian in the whole state of Pennsylvania and when Swamiji came she didn't know what to do with him you know, he, he had these little white shoes that he was wearing, saffron robes, and he had tilak and shaved head. And what are the people of Butler going to do? <laughs> it was quite a sensation. So she called the newspaper to interview him. And her motive for calling the newspaper was so that nobody would ask her, what's he doing here? Everybody <laughs> could read the newspaper and know. There was a, a bookstore in Mumbai, near Grant Road, very, just a few minute walk from where Radha Gopinath Temple is. And at that bookstore, there was the owner. He said he knew one person in America. He didn't contact that person. He just wrote a letter and gave it to Srila Prabhupada. The letter was to a Mr. Ram Murti Mishra, who lived in New York City. And he said, if you show him this letter, then it's a letter of introduction. So when Prabhupada was in Butler, he tried to contact Dr. Ram Murti Mishra. That was his only contact. He was going to New York City with him. <laughs> he has a letter. He talked to him on the phone for a couple minutes, and Dr. Misha said, yes, you come. And Fraupad got off the bus in New York City after visiting Philadelphia. Does that mean time's up? I never asked what time I'm supposed to end. Is there a time? No, okay. Okay, I, I will make it almost over. And Dr. Ramurti Mishra was actually a sannyasi. His name was Brahmananda Saraswati. And he owned a, a little yoga studio. New York City and he invited Srila Prabhupada for some time to come and stay with him at his house and, what, and he got really sick he was actually dying and Srila Prabhupada would cook for him every day it's a beautiful interview with Dr. Mishra he said, Swamiji's love saved my life. Prabhupada would cook for him really nice, and he infused it with so much love for Krishna. And Dr. Mish was in bed, and Prabhupada would wake him up and said, you must eat now. <laughs> and he made him eat at regular times, and he made really nice prasad. 
And Dr. Misha said the prasad was so delicious and it was so filled with love for Krishna. He said, his love saved my life. But then Dr. Misha had to go to Europe for some time and Srila Prabhupada was just living in a little room without a sink, without a bathroom, without windows. It was in the middle of a building in New York, Manhattan. And while he was there, he was writing his commentaries on Bhagavad Gita and Srimad Bhagavatam and his manuscripts were stolen when he was gone and his typewriter was stolen and somebody gave him a tape recorder and that was stolen. He had nothing. And then he moved out into a loft in the Bowery with one young person who was taking a little interest. And that person became completely um, crazy to too many drugs. He actually threatened Prabhupada's life. Prabhupada had to leave that place in the Bowery. He was homeless. Then he was living with another person, a couple, husband and boyfriend and girlfriend. I think his name was something, but um, it's in Satsrup Goswami Maharaj's biography. But it was really difficult to share the same room with Prabhupada because there was only one room in their house. Prabhupada could have gone back to India, but he just persisted. And one day he was sitting on a park bench and this Jewish immigrant from Turkey named Mr. Rubin sat next to Prabhupada and just happened to ask him, what are you doing? Because <laughs> he never saw anybody like Prabhupada. And Prabhupada told him, I have come to serve my guru's instruction. And there are temples all over the world and so many devotees and so many books. He was explaining everything. And then he concluded, it's all just separated by time. Just a couple months ago, I was with His Grace Vaisheshika Prabhu. And we went to the Muir Woods in Northern California. And we wanted to somehow just find a very lonely place where we could talk. But there was tourists. So we were thinking, let us walk quickly to escape the tourists. But then something happened, which I'm going to share with you. There was a circle of American tourists. They were around a Chinese lady who was the park ranger. And she was talking 
about the drought in California. I think all of you know about that. How the lack of water was crippling the economy and crippling people's lives in so many ways. Even with billions of dollars and even with the greatest scientific research and technological achievements, you can't make it rain. We're all ultimately dependent on nature at every step. She was going into some detail about the effect of the drought and how so many trees were withering up and dying because their roots need water. And then she said, look up at these redwood trees. And we all looked up. And up there were millions of leaves on the redwood trees. <laughs> and they looked really nice. She said, trees get their water from the roots, which are in the, in the very bottom. And she said, they get their water from rain and from nearby streams. She said, all the streams in this area are practically dried up and there has not been rain. Then she told a story that really has a philosophical purport. Because generally tr trees get their water from their roots. There's no water there. So all trees are suffering and dying. But the redwoods teach us how we can see an opportunity even in the most um, unwelcome situation. How many of you like fog? Okay, it's because you're devotees. <laughs> Usually when we talk about fog, it means, you know, you're, when you're really spaced out, your mind is foggy. And if you go to New Delhi in the winter, almost, you have to usually wait about six or seven hours for your flight because of the fog. Most flights in Delhi are either really late or canceled because planes cannot take off in heavy fog. And did you ever try to drive a car in heavy fog? You can't see anything in front of you. If you even try to walk in heavy fog. And that's the most dangerous thing for ships and boats is fog. Because when it's foggy, you can't see anything. And traditionally, boats crash into each other in the fog. That's why they have these fog horns. When it's really foggy, boats just keep going, just so they don't crash. And they're just kind of going nowhere. They don't know where they're going. 
Anyways, fog is never considered by anyone in any way except an impediment. But the redwood trees, not from their roots, but from the very top of the trees, and their leaves are like little needles. Those little needle leaves get covered with fog, because everything's covered with fog, and they absorb the fog. And the little leaves get that water and absorb and transfer it to the whole rest of the tree, from the top of the tallest trees in the world down to the roots. And this is what she said. Are you ready? This is astounding. She said one tree through their little leaves on top is capable and does it of absorbing 300 to 500 gallons of water a day from the fog. Please let us congratulate the family. <laughs> At least wake each other up. <laughs> so whatever, what no other trees can do, they have found how to live and thrive. And that is, I was thinking when I was listening to this, that's kind of how Prabhupada started our movement. He was just in impossible situations, but any little opportunity, he was always seeing a way to serve Krishna. I'll end with a very well-known analogy Prabhupada gave. Once somebody asked Srila Prabhupada, how did you start this movement from nothing? And he said, just like a person who has nothing and he wants to start a business. He walks down the street and he sees an old dried up pumpkin or gourd and he picks it up. And he walks down the road a little more and he sees an old branch from a tree and he picks it up. And he walks down the path a little longer and he sees an old wire laying in the ground and he picks it up. And then he attaches the pumpkin to the branch and takes the wire and, and strings it from one end to the other and makes a musical instrument. And from that he starts a company. <laughs> Prabhupada said, whatever little, whatever little or nothing it appeared that Krishna gave him. In his diary, there's some beautiful passages. One is, you know, he's talking about He's selling his Srimad Bhagavatams and he's buying, you know, I bought three potatoes for six cents. <laughs> he's putting everything down. He was very 
um, responsible because it was all Krishna's. He was the caretaker. And he explains how he went to one apartment in New York and there was like five people that came and he played a little tape recording of his chanting and he said they liked it. Now I could see how receptive the American people really are to the holy names of Krishna. Now, if you were me to have a program and five people kind of really liked it, would you be celebrating? Prabhupada was celebrating. Every opportunity, he was just seeing Krishna's, Krishna there. He was always encouraged by whatever happened. Thank you very much. And in his humility, when Srila Prabhupada was asked by one devotee years later, what is our qualification for receiving this great knowledge? Prabhupada, very honestly, he said, you had no qualifications. He said, I made your qualifications. And that is something we should always remember. Shall we have a few minutes kirtan? Are we allowed to do that now? Could you give me? Thank you so much. Krishna Pristaya Bhutale Hare Krishna Hare Krishna Hare Hare 